Hi everyone, today we will be talking about how to overcome your fears as an artist. If you want to nerd out about art, our prof has everything you need from tutorials to critiques to pro development. Clara, do you want to get us started? This is something everybody worries about. Is the work I'm doing a waste of time? Because nobody on the planet, no matter how experienced you are as an artist, doesn't make pieces quite often that are not hitting the ball out of the park. So here's an example. This is a series that I started a long time ago. It was about aging. And I was all excited about the concept. Oh, this is going to keep me busy for five years. And what an engaging subject. And it, it just fizzed out. It just never went anywhere. And I invested time in this. And so I could say to myself, oh, that was a waste of time. That project never got finished. But that's really not true, Jordan. Why do you think this was not a waste of time, even though it never went anywhere? Well, I think the idea of it being a waste of time only comes from no one else gets to see what I worked on. But that doesn't mean that the experience and the things that you learned from it are not still valuable. There might have been uh, ways you grew as an artist. Maybe you enhanced your skill here. Maybe you learned a new technique or new medium. And you can use that for the next project. Not everything has to see the light of day. And it would be nice if everything was so great that we could do that. But that's just not always the situation. With this work, yeah, it fizzed out. But Kat, have you had projects that you started and then gave up on, but then maybe came back to you later? Oh, yeah. I've had plenty of projects that work that way. And I really liked, there's this, the author of Eat, Pray, Love, <laughs> controversial figure, but she made a TED talk that really resonated with me in that she believed inspiration was sort of a spirit that was around and just came by and just haunted a certain host. And I kind of feel like my projects are like that. When things fizzle out, I just think, oh, the spirit is just gonna go out into the ether or whatever. And maybe it will come back someday, but there's a reason why it came to me as the host. And I always feel like ideas will circle back eventually. And if they leave for good, I think that's actually a good thing. Maybe you found a better host, or maybe you will be more open to a better idea that will come to you eventually. I was just thinking I'm a host for an alien. <laughs> my isolation <laughs> is an alien that's about to pop out of my stomach. Something crazy like that. Well, we have this project that you did, Kat, that was a jewelry class. And you're not a jeweler. And yet, how did this project go? I know it was not your favorite piece. Mm. This project went all right, considering it was my first time ever doing metal work. And I kind of had that as a shield, like armor, saying, this is my first time. So who cares if I do a crappy job? Because it's my first time. At the very least, at least I am doing it. And this sort of paved the way for metalwork to become a better skill that I have. For instance, this is a comb, a hand comb that I did later on. And as you can see, the skill greatly improved here. Another thing that really carried me through with these projects was the fact that not a lot of people can do metalsmithing, have the time, resources, materials, or the skill to do it. And the fact that it, I even attempted it in the first place meant something. <laughs> At least I have it now, which is not something that everybody can say. 
Jordan, do you think it's worth doing something like this that is so far from your main practice? Because Kat, you're a comics artist. You're working on a graphic novel right now. And for some people, they might say, oh, Julia is a waste of time for Kat because that's not adding to the graphic novel. But I think Kat's getting something here that's valuable. I mean, I think it depends on the artist. I know for me in particular, I'm a bit stubborn. And so when I try a new medium, if I don't like it, I'll never go back to it again. Like I tried a, I tried a lithography class when I was in school and you, it, I don't have the resources for it anyway to do it myself. But I was like, nope, never doing this again. And I knew that after like week two. And so, and so it was a bit of a drag, but I think it really just depends on the mindset of the artist and if they're able to find a way to pull that information into what is it they're currently doing. Um, and not all mediums are created equal. Some are better for others um, than one is. And Kat, we know you're very busy right now, <laughs> teaching at yeah. RISD, working on the graphic novel, but I think you have said to me in the past, hey, I do want to do this again in the future. Yeah, that's true. Me starting this skill, starting to learn this skill is me sowing a seed. It doesn't have to sprout now, but maybe it will sprout in the future. And you want to sow as many seeds as possible but also you got to be a little bit calculated with what seeds you sow because you do have to have the drive to carry it through to the end if it does sprout. Tell us in the chat, what are your fears as an artist? My take, if somebody asks me that question is, sheesh, what am I not afraid of? <laughs> and there's very <laughs> few things that are not intimidating or scary because I do really think as an artist, you're really walking the plank in a lot of cases. You're putting yourself out there. You're trying things that you've never done before, and it's a lot of work. So the next topic is related, which is what if my skills aren't good enough? Who here has worried about that at some point? I know for you, Jordan, you have practiced for years and years and years, and yet you're always telling me, oh, I'm not very good at this. Well, <laughs> a lot of that comes from uh, my my experience jumping from undergrad to grad school, because part of the reason I went to grad school is because my skills were not at industry level. Uh, and I look back on it now and I really see that. And so I think there's still some residue uh, that comes from it. But for me, I think the biggest thing is to recognize that just because I'm not there yet doesn't mean I will never be there. And I think that that is probably the biggest hindrance to a lot of artists because I think most of the artistic battles that we face are mostly internal or are mental or things that we say to ourselves in our in our own heads. And if we can get past that block, I think we'll be able to go much further, much faster. You have to be very patient to gain these skills. They don't happen overnight. And Kat, sometimes the advice I give people is super boring. Keep doing it. <laughs> Honestly, one of the advice pieces of advice I give to people when they say, I want to draw and write a graphic novel is you should start with just strips of comics. You shouldn't attempt that graphic novel yet. You really have to build a good base to get to that level because you don't want to start at that level when you're not ready because it's all going to fall apart. It's all going to crumble if you don't have that good base. Crispy says improving. Honestly, I see work that I did years ago and hate it. I'm afraid that I'm going to look back on the work that I'm doing right now in the same light, especially when it comes to commissions. Your improvement is not linear. 
you're not going to keep getting better, 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 better. And it's hard to accept that because you feel like, oh, I've been doing this for so long. The work I'm doing now should be better. But that's not true. <laughs> because if we look at what I had to learn to make art prof, I have no film degree. I never opened Premiere, never edited a video, never touched sound design. This is the very first shoot we ever did for art prof. My head was spinning. I mean, I couldn't even focus on what was going on. This is 2015, this is a long time ago. And we're still making bad videos, <laughs> right, Jordan? All the time, that's the part, that's just part of the process, right? <laughs> and sometimes people think they have to be a master of something for it to be worth it. Now, Kat, I've worked pretty hard to get better at Premiere, but I cannot sit down and edit a feature movie that's three hours and has 3,000 shots. But what I know for Premiere, it's, it's good enough for what we do. Right. I think it's all about being open-minded when pursuing something. Sometimes when you start at a base and you continue going forward, you hit a wall. And then you have to ask yourself, do I want to keep hitting this wall until I burst through? Or do you want to find a way to go around the wall? And so it's one or the other, and it's really up to you and your knowledge of your own skills that will have you decide which outcome you do pursue. I think sometimes, quote, better has to do with efficiency. I think about that first video I edited, oh my gosh, it probably took six hours. I could probably get that done in an hour. And so mm -hmm. some of it is just seeing, wow, I'm a lot faster at it, but it's also, am I hitting my goals? Because Jordan, you probably wanted your work to be at a certain standard. Have you had times where you're like, yeah, I can do it now? Yeah, that's happened a couple of times. And, and overall, what I've learned from doing things like the 2500 challenge or just practicing character design is all about focused repetition over time. Um, there, there's a famous quote by Bruce Lee um, where he says, I fear not the man who has done 10,000 kicks. I fear the man who has done one kick 10,000 times. And that philosophy of just going in and really drilling down to getting as good as you can at whatever your focus is, is the philosophy that I use. And whenever I feel down and out, I go back to that. And if I say I focus on, on this, I can instantly improve. Melissa says, I'm afraid of just about everything. However, I also know that I push through it until it feels familiar or less scary. Oh, when you learn a new skill, you feel like such a klutz. And I do still feel that way when it comes to editing videos. I mean, I definitely have had moments, I go to my husband, I'm like, how do I nest this? I don't understand, what is a nest in Premiere? This makes no sense to me at all. And I could be hard on myself, or I could shut up and look it up, type in what is a nest in Premiere into Google. And so sometimes you just have to be very, concrete and analytical about it. Hey, what is the thing I need? I'm not gonna watch this one hour video about nesting sequences in Premiere. I'm gonna just watch this 30 second video gave me exactly what I wanted. You can just target the things that you need in the present as far as getting things done. That's all you need. You don't need to be super fancy and do high end stuff because sometimes it's not very time efficient. Now, Kat, You've been doing 
comics for a long time now, and you have literally redone an actual piece. Why did you decide to do that? I decided to redo this piece because I saw a lot of potential in it. And at the time of doing it the first time, I didn't have the skill I needed with the pen and ink or finding my own cartoon style really to portray this in its full potential. And so the story had a lot going for it, but the art, not so much. And so with my current skill, I decided to take out everything that was good in that project and redo it with my new and improved pen and ink skills. Do you think this is better, Jordan? <laughs> I definitely think it's better. I think it's such a, I think it's such a good idea to, to do that too and to learn from your previous mistakes and to just also sort of appreciate what you had done a few years ago and just say, you know what? This was great for the cat from 2000, whatever year you did this to now. I think that's a really great thing to do. I also think when you redo a piece, in some ways it's quote easier because you've already gone through the race. You know what the problems were. You know what are the things you want to be better. It's much easier than starting a piece from scratch. In fact, I have a piece right now that didn't work out very well. I'm like, oh, I totally am going to redo this. And I felt very empowered because I'm like, now I know exactly. <sighs> what to avoid and what went wrong the first time. And that's been extremely helpful. This is a very common fear. Seven Angelic says, I'm afraid to show other people my work even when I've done it before. Jordan, why does that continue to be hard for us? E even the three of us here, we have shown tons of work for years and years, but it's still that moment before you share something. I, I think a lot of it just, is a very basic fear of uh, being afraid to be judged. I think that's really what it comes down to ultimately, because especially if you're creating a piece that's very emotional uh, or that means a lot to you, there's a lot embedded in that. And you don't want someone to just say, oh, this is awful. And, and you feel like they're invalidating you or your experience somehow. So I think that that is really where a lot of that fear comes from. I noticed that it's easier to get a critique on a still life than this your magnum opus and putting all your emotions from you know five ten years ago and life experience and all that stuff so I, I think that's really the crux of the issue what i get scared of and this is silly because we have a substantial following pretty much everything i post is going to get something but i know when we didn't have a big following i was afraid of getting crickets that i would post something and then and cat people oftentimes say to me oh i'm so scared people are going to write something rude but more often than not, it's crickets. Yeah, I think that's just the case at large. The worst thing that could happen is getting ghosted. Getting a no or getting a yes is, yes is incredible. Getting a no is also really good, but the true worst feeling is no response. It's like nobody cares. Apathy is honestly the worst. Lack of emotion is the worst emotional response you can get when you put yourself out there. What if someone steals my art? This is so much bigger and more common now because of the internet. It was really hard, not really hard, but much more work to steal something before. And now I just click download and I've got the image on my desktop. And I know Jordan, you're putting shadow boxers out there. And I know you had a lot of hesitations about doing that because of people stealing your work. 
Yeah, I, I think the the concerns are still kind of there uh, in some way, but I realize on my end, I can't do anything about someone wanting to download it and say it's their work or something. I feel like I posted enough images where people recognize that that someone out there will recognize it's my work. And two, I'm also very careful about releasing certain story information um, until I can put it out in a more official capacity. I just have everything <laughs> kind of locked down. And I think that that helps me sleep better at night when it comes to this project in particular. Well, Jordan, you and I have had this conversation that actually the sooner you start posting and you have an archive of the work that goes back many years, it becomes a little harder for people to steal the work because you have actual evidence. Hey, this Instagram post is back from 2016. I've been posting consistently for years and years. And Kat, that's different if you never show anything and then you just show one image, it's easier for people to steal it. Right, you want to create a bit of a history with your own work when you put it out there. Another thing is that if you do not post your work out of fear of somebody stealing your work, then how are you gonna get opportunities when somebody's going to come across your Instagram profile? If there's nothing there, there's nothing to do. And so if you post it, of course there's the fear of somebody stealing your work, but there's also the opportunity of somebody finding it and asking you to do something bigger with it. And Jordan, you had a conversation with Greg Kanan, who is a lawyer, and he has been on some of our streams because you were worried about, oh, what do I copyright? How do I register? And did he help you? Yeah, he helped me out a lot. And I think uh, one of the best things that he did was actually calm me down because mm -hmm. it, there was a fear, right? There, there's this massive fear of like, what if I do this and this goes wrong? And everything was sort of in a scarcity, fearful mindset. And the way he broke it down to me was kind of exactly what you just said about, hey, if if you get big enough where someone uh, steals your work, that means that someone else has seen it before, too. Um, and chances are you will have a way to fight this um, if that ever happens. So um, so he, he really did break things down the way that was easy for me to kind of grasp and say, OK, you know what? I can take a risk and put it out there, because just like Kat said, if you don't take a risk, then in some ways you're you might end up taking a bigger risk by missing out on certain opportunities. That visibility becomes evidence that it is your work. And I see this all the time. <laughs> I don't know what it is about this series. People always put a poem over these drawings. And it's annoying. I'm not going to sue these people or anything like that. But I have had people not credit me. And then other people come on and say, that's Clara Lou's work. And the only reason that can happen is because I have people who know what my work is. They see it and people can get called out for that. And Kat, if I only put out these three images, would I have much of a following? No, you had to have put out a body of work for people to recognize you. And then people can recognize these three specific pieces. Anna says, my work is pretty unique in style and conception, so less fear about artists stealing my actual work than people stealing, trying to make my kind of work and being more successful at it than me. Oh, this happens all the time. I had a professor at RISD who was very successful in freelance illustration. He was so successful 
that other art directors were hiring other artists to do his style. Like they would say, I want you to do it like this person. And that's, I think maybe it's just a consequence of being popular. Do you think, Jordan? Yeah, because the challenge is as far as I know, and I'm not a lawyer, but as far as I know, you can't really copyright a style. You know, there's a certain mm -hmm. way you 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 design shapes and convey your lines and stuff. Like, there's not a whole lot you can do to it. But if it is recognizable, chances are that, you know, someone else will find interest in it and they'll want you to get as close as you can to such and such style. And and truthfully, as, an, as a character designer, I study other artists as well. I have whole books on my shelf where I will, uh, where I look through it and I'll be like, okay, can I mimic this person's style to help influence my own? And so sometimes it's not even, you know, out of malice or anything. It's just a way to practice. And, you know, it's a very slippery slope. It's very tricky to get, get in and out of that situation. If you're visible enough that people are trying to copy your style, chances are people are going to know it's from you. <laughs> because I definitely have seen artists online and I'm like, okay, this is definitely somebody who's trying to be this artist. And so that is something you have on your side, but it is stressful because you can't control any of that. That's just, if people wanna do that, they do it because you can't copyright style. This is a big one for many artists who are aspiring to work professionally, whether you're doing it a little bit at a time, let's say you have a job and you're trying to do a little bit of freelance work. Or I know some people just jump right in and say, hey, I'm, I'm gonna really make this happen. So there's many versions of how invested people are in terms of being a professional. But the thing is, Kat, once you start taking away work that pays to make your work, the bills become stressful, unless you're a trust fund baby. Oh yeah, for sure. I think one of the big realizations I had after graduating from art school was honestly the kind of work I was doing does not make a living. <laughs> and people had hinted at it before, but I really had to be faced with the reality myself in order for me to change my expectations and pivot my career goals. Because originally I thought, well, I love doing comics so much and I'm pretty good at it why ever not pursue it as a career? Well, the people who make those uh, comics as a career are like the 0.0001% of all comics creators. Truthfully, most comic creators have another side hustle. And so when you are pursuing art as a career, you do have to be realistic. <laughs> you have to be um, knowledgeable enough in the field to know what is gonna work and what is gonna pay and what is not and pivot. You got to be open enough to pivot. I am now at a point in my life where I have to make decisions about what I choose to do. And basically, for me to say yes to something, it has to be one of these things. It either has to be something that pays really well. I'm like, okay, it's money. I'm not going to turn that down. Number two, it has to be extremely visible career advantage. So sometimes there are things that I know are going to help me, but they're not going to pay very well, or I have to do it for myself. For example, I usually charge pretty high fees for lectures, but there was this one public school system in Texas that contacted me and I spoke to the coordinator and I knew they couldn't afford me. 
and they were like, oh, we can pay you $100. I was like, I'll do it because I felt so much sympathy for that school system and what, and I knew I was the only person that could really help them with that. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because Jordan, the stuff that's fun, it, it doesn't overlap that often with the stuff that pays. That is true. Um, it, it's a very difficult balance. The way I've kind of sorted out in my head is realistically, most people I know, no matter what their career is, have trouble paying their bills. Um, like regardless, like in almost any field. Um, and for me personally, I'm not saying for all of you guys watching that you have to copy my example, but for me, I think about the life I want to live and I would, and I go, okay, if I'm going to stress either way, I might as well do something I like to do, <laughs> you know? Um, and there's a chance that what I like to do is going to turn into a really profitable path for me. Um, and I know everyone is different with, the, with what they choose to, to work on with their, with their art and stuff. But that's just the way I try and think about it is to have more of an, an abundant mindset uh, because I don't want to psych myself out. I struggle with that sometimes. And I would rather just work on <laughs> be going like, you know what? I can do this. This is going to work out somehow, some way. Thank you, Anna, so much for the super chat. We so much appreciate your support. Anna says, no problem with people being inspired by my work. I'm inspired by other artists' work all the time, but interpretation is different than copying. Oh, it's a giant hornet's nest <laughs> because nothing's clear cut. So it becomes so confusing so fast. Wilmy says, I'm afraid of calling myself an artist because I am self-taught. Jordan, I think we've all felt like imposters <laughs> multiple times in our lives. And what do you do when you don't feel legit for one reason or another. I mean, I think, again, it comes from the seeking the approval of someone else, because if you call yourself an artist, you're afraid that someone else is going to say, no, you're not. You haven't worked at such and such studio. You haven't had this or that career or whatever. And, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it shouldn't matter what other people think. If you say you're an artist, then you are an artist. If I decide today I'm going to write a novel and even if no one else reads it, I could say, you know, I'm a writer because I did the work behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So that, that label is purely up to you and what you want to define yourself as. Kat, have you ever seen a situation where somebody presented themselves as an artist and people said, no, you're not? Oh yeah, so many times. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once I told someone else that I was an artist author and then I, I actually had a book contract at the time and I showed this person my work and this person's like, oh, so you're legit. And I was like, what determines being legit or not? Is it that contract? I could just be an author and I could be writing for my own pleasure or writing for online or whatever, right? Like, does your level of being a student determine whether you get the term student or not, whether you're like a kindergartner or you're a college student, you're still a student, right? And so who cares about what other people think those labels should mean? It's really up to what you believe you are and also the communities around you who support you and whatever you decide to pursue. This one, I think it's every day. <laughs> what if people don't like my work? Every time we post a video, this goes through my head. What if people don't like this video? I know it's really stupid because we pump out so much content, which does help me because if you pump out that much content, you don't have to get so precious about how each thing is going to be received. 
but I know Jordan and Kat, you both have really big projects. Shadow Boxers for you, Jordan, is a whole universe. Are you worried that people won't like it? Uh, yeah, I am on some level, but the two, two things that I think about one, realistically, most people don't even like themselves and <laughs> like, like, no, seriously, like it's yeah. sad. It's a sad reality, but if they don't like themselves, I can't expect for them to like me or my work like every single time. Like that's just kind of, that's just kind of unrealistic. Um, the other thing is I don't think I am so different from every other person that my interests are not going to align with someone else's interests. Um, like when, and I always go to this example with Stanley creating Spider-Man. Uh, he got advice from his publisher that no one would like Spider-Man because he was a teenager, he had money problems, and he was, uh, you know, and no one likes spiders. And he said, you know what? If I like it, I'm pretty sure someone else is going to like it as well. So that's the way I approach it, and I just try and create something that I myself would want to see. It has to start with you. If you don't like your project, you're not going to be able to convince other people that they will like it. And so a lot of this is you just have to really believe in what you're doing. And if you don't, make changes. Do something else. Tweak the project. Get it to the point where you really do feel that you can stand up for your work. Because that is a means of empowering yourself as an artist. You can say, well, you know what? Cat, maybe you don't like shadow boxers, but I'll find somebody else who does. <laughs> I don't think that's the case. But <laughs> it does have case. to start with you. Because Kat, you're working on a graphic novel. This is going to be published. And are you worried it won't be well received when it comes out? Of course, some part of me is worried about that. But I also think about the fact that it will definitely be well received with the people I actually care about and who care about me because we have similar interests. And I know that if not, if this isn't really for the world per se, but making this project is also for myself because one, I like the story. Two, I like making the story. And three, I know I'm going to be a different person at the end of this project. I'll have evolved somehow. And that's really exciting for me and everybody else can just deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> Great point from Seven Angelic. There's a very diverse group of humans on this planet. You may feel niche, but there are more of you out there. Your work does not have to resonate with everybody on the whole planet. It will not be that way. And it really is a matter of finding your audience. For example, Kat, you have this beautiful illustration of a library. I bet you anything librarians would love this illustration. If I showed this to, I don't know, an Olympic skier, maybe they're not as into it. And so you have to find the people that really are going to appreciate what you do. Because if you show your work somewhere and people really are not into it, it's not necessarily your work. It could be you're barking up the wrong tree. And I think a lot of artists will take it very personally because Jordan, what is your audience for shadow boxers? Do you have a sense of that or is it still evolving? Yeah, it's like an eight to 14 kind of group. So older kids, uh, definitely. And thankfully I found a lot of adults who seem to really like it too, which is, which is great. But one thing I, um, <laughs> one thing I noticed, I was talking to my uncle, he was trying to help me uh, put it together about a year ago. And I told him that there were some inspiration from Avatar Last Airbender. Now my uncle is someone who's in his mid to late fifties and he's not a very, 
he's not very connected with his childhood self, let's just put it like that. And so he watched it and he thought it was the dumbest show ever. And I was just like, I mean, it's got Peabody Awards and all this, like it's got the, it's like the number one show on Netflix at the time. And he just didn't like it. I was like, you're missing out, bro, but okay, whatever. You don't, you don't have to. And so that, that's kind of helped me go like, you know what, not everyone's going to fall in line with this project exactly the way that I want them to. And there's target demographics for a reason. It's not like everyone's going to suddenly love it, you know? People don't like Michael Jackson's music. I don't understand those people, but you know, there's plenty of people that don't, so. <laughs> My 13 year old who doesn't like anything, I showed her your Shadow Boxers characters and she said, oh, I like this one. And uh, Jordan, that is the biggest compliment you could ever get from my child. Because normally she gets mad at me and will just push, like literally push things away. Actually, her latest phrase is buzz off when she gets mad. Buzz off, mama. <laughs> she did not do that when I showed her shadow boxers. She That's is so your target audience. audience. She's 13. Now, Kat, <laughs> what is the target audience for Nostalgia, your graphic novel? It's actually in a similar age group as Jordan, which is around eight to 14. But what's it, that counts as middle grade in publishing. And what's funny about me pitching this project to different publishers was I obviously pitched them to publishers that had a middle grade audience and target, right? But each publisher had a different kind of middle grade market. And so there was one middle grade market that was honestly just a lot simpler. They were middle grade, but they were more for like ages eight, nine, and 10. Um, and then there were other middle grade sections that were more geared towards the older middle grade. So 11, 12, 13, 14. And I found through pitching it to a lot of publishers that nostalgia really belongs in that older middle grade section. I'm so stressed about this. <laughs> what if I get canceled? <laughs> Because sometimes, not that often, but I almost wish I could go back to the days where nobody was listening to me and nobody cared about what I had to say because we had such a tiny following. And now we have 147,000 subscribers on YouTube. And oh boy, I am so afraid I'm gonna use the wrong word. I'm gonna say something that offends somebody because, oh my gosh, the pace that people get canceled is terrifying. Jordan, I, I know for you, you have, obviously none of us have been canceled. We, we never do. Scary, because there have been artists who got canceled. I mean, for me, First off, I, I actively try to not do anything to get myself canceled. Some people just are barking up the wrong tree and just begging for it. Um, so that's one thing. Um, but the other thing is I have enough concerns with thinking about the future. I, I, I often uh, think about a lot of the stuff we're asking in the stream. And it's like, what if someone does this? What if this happens? What if this happens? And canceling is one of those things that I can't really allow myself to think about too much because I can't control it, um, at least at this stage. And so I'm gonna do everything I can to make people like me. And if they don't, then it is what it is. Um, and hopefully I never get canceled, but if I do, I'll have to figure it out when that happens because there's some things you just can't really predict. I do have well, something to add to that because I mean, there's always that fear of getting canceled, but what matters at the end of the day is 
you and your own personal community, your own friends, your own family, the people who actually care about you and know how multifaceted you are and what an interesting individual you are. They really know you. I think a lot of people who cancel somebody else only sees one side of somebody who gets canceled. Sure, as Jordan says, some people are really, really asking for it <laughs> in certain cases. But um, in other cases, just know that that horde of people on the internet really only see just a little part of you and that you are a whole person behind that screen. And the people who are close to you know this and can support you. AA says we can only control what we do, not how people react. We can only apologize and try to do better moving forward. But see, that's what scares me. <laughs> I cannot control other people behaving badly or misinterpreting things. We get all kinds of terrible comments. They all get deleted because we moderate our comments section. But I cannot believe some of the reactions that people have to things that in my opinion, are not really that big of a deal. So that, that I think is very scary. Now, Kat and Jordan, both of you are doing work for a living as an artist. Jordan, are you afraid that you'll just be miserable and it'll just be upsetting because it's like, oh, I'm being an artist. It's what I want to do, but I hate it. My biggest concern is doing so much work for other people that I lose myself in the process and I... I feel like I'm not actually being, I'm not able to do what I want to do or why I got into this. I, I decided to be an artist because I wanted to create my own worlds and build stuff and design stuff. And there are times where certain projects are just really stupid and I don't want to do them. And so I'm afraid of just being overloaded with that and oversaturated with that. That's that, that I think is my concern. But as far as doing art for a living, I love it. I, I like the fact that I can wake up and walk over to my desk and create my income, <laughs> but just by drawing. I think that's a really cool concept that not a lot of people have the privilege of doing. At the same time though, there are some parts of being a professional artist at stake. Kat, are there any parts that you find frustrating as a professional artist where you're like, oh, I hate this part of the job. <laughs> I think it's when you have to do art for someone else and not for yourself. So when a company asks you to do something, or if a client is asking you to do something, all of what you have to do have to fit in the parameters of that client and or company. And I, I find that really frustrating because art is my own expression. I wanna do it for myself, but that's not viable all the time. And so something that really helps me is to be able to sector out different art for different reasons. So there's my art, right? But then there's also the art that I make for somebody else. There's, even in my art, I have to think, well, what is a viable way to make money? <laughs> or what is something I just have to do for my own spiritual, emotional fulfillment? And so being able to delineate different arts for different things has helped me a lot in making art my career. Nini says, I mean, there are parts of every job that people hate, even if it's a fun, enjoyable job 90% of the time, I think you just have to accept that art is no different. Exactly. I taught at RISD for many, many years. There were moments I loved, but oh my gosh, some of the nasty situations I had to deal with, with both faculty and students were so unpleasant. 
but hopefully they don't happen enough in your job that it destroys everything for you. And towards the end of my career at RISD, it did start to feel like that. It started to feel like there was just so much crap I had to deal with all the time that I didn't really get to enjoy the fun parts anymore because the bad parts were just swallowing me up. And so you have to find a career where, yes, there's going to be challenges, but do the good parts of the job make the not so fun parts worth it? It is here. I, I have plenty of things I don't like doing. I don't like doing spreadsheets. I don't like doing payroll and taxes, but they have to be done. And it makes it so I can do this other stuff. We do have a premium workshop. You're all the first to know. <laughs> I have not announced this yet. Instagram for artists. It's going to be on Saturday, December 10th with myself and Mia Rozier, who is, oh my gosh, total expert in social media. Registration is due Friday, December 2nd. And the workshops are two and a half hours for $60. And I hope some of you will register because, oh goodness, Instagram is so confusing for so many people. And we will give you the answers at the back of the textbook. Please join. Kat, me, and Jordan will be in the post live stream stage channel in our Discord right after the stream. A stage session is where you get to talk to us on voice. It's super fun. We chat about everything. So we hope you will meet us there. There are many ways you can support our prof. We do have a new Venmo. You can send us a one-time donation. You can buy our original artwork on Etsy. We have so much in our shop. <laughs> Please let us clean it out a little bit. It'd be nice to have that little space. You can purchase an artist call. There's so often situations that are very specific to you and I hope our videos help you, but sometimes it's not enough. So here's a chance to get customized one-on-one -on -one interaction. Thank you to our top Patreon supporters. You are doing it for us. Pretty much almost our entire budget comes from the Patreon supporters. So thank you all for being there. Whoops, I have an extra slide here. Thank you, <laughs> Trin Nguyen, for becoming our most recent top Patreon supporter. We went up $7, yay, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> our podcast is available on Spotify, also on iTunes and subscribe to our channel for more tutorials, critiques and business tips. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time, bye.